This podcast is a ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Hatfield, Pennsylvania. And now, the message. Well, hey, I want to welcome you again to Crossroads. I'm Pastor Mike. We're in the middle of a series called All the Places That You Go. And what we're talking about is the fact that, maybe to make a quick review, that, that first of all, God is in the business of opening doors for us in our lives. He opens a door of opportunity. Something swings open, and then we get a chance to step through. And so when we started, we just said it's important for us to realize that God is doing that. He actually opens doors. The following week, then, we said, well, you know, sometimes he doesn't open just one door. He opens multiple doors. And we began wrestling with, well, so when there's a couple of doors available, how do we know which one to choose? And I'm going to say it's important that we realize that God opens doors. It's important that we can uh, recognize an opportunity when it opens. It's important that we know which door to choose. But if we're honest, um, there are some things about this whole process of open doors that we really can't control very much. You can't control where or when the door shows up, which door opens and which one doesn't. We can't control where that door leads. We can't control even what that door is. And that can make this whole process kind of challenging, frustrating. And so today we want to really talk about just one thing, and then we're going to go to the Lord's table. What we talk about today is the fact that even though there are a lot of things about this open door business that we can't control, there is one thing that we can control. Linda talked about it, and it's our attitude. It's the way we go through an open door. So what would God have us to know about the importance of how we go through open doors. And as I say this, I realize that for many of you, you have doors open right now. How we go through a door is perhaps more important than whether or not we get the right door in the first place. I was reading uh, uh, one of the favorite, my favorite historians, uh, her name is Curry. She, she was writing about Teddy Roosevelt, one of our beloved presidents. And one of the things that everybody loved about Teddy Roosevelt was that he was just exuberant. He was, he was courageous. He, whatever he did, he did it wholeheartedly. And uh, one newspaper writer was trying to describe what it was like when he saw President Teddy Roosevelt at a, at a dance and he was dancing. <laughs> and, and he wasn't exactly a graceful figure. But they said, one thing can be said for our president. When he dances, he does it with both feet at the same time. <laughs> and, and they said he was just like, he would just kind of hop, you know? And, it, and what's interesting about hopping is, you know, every other kind of transport, you know, we walk or we run, usually one foot hits the ground and we pick up the other one. Hopping takes faith. Hopping means both feet are in the air at the same time. And if, when you land, if something's going to go wrong, it goes terribly wrong. Maybe the idea of hopping, maybe that kind of informs how we can enter doors when we see them open. <coughs> or about Linda. You know what? She can't control who's on her bus. She can't control their attitudes. She can control her own attitude. And by reminding herself of that every day and choosing to treat her job as mundane as it might become after. 20 years or whatever, at that wee hour of the morning, 
she chooses to make sure that she views that opportunity, that open door, as a chance for her to respond with faithfulness. Now, I guess I would I want to kind of move forward a little bit because we're going to run short of time today. But here's the point, and and this is really the takeaway. I tell you ahead of time. It's what good preachers are supposed to do. Tell you what I'm going to say, then I'm going to tell you what I'm saying, and then I'm going to remind you what I just said. <laughs> and still, there will be confusion. Uh, but the the point is, you and I, whenever whatever you're facing right now. It's a vocational challenge. It's a relational challenge. It's a financial challenge. There's so many things about that that you can't control, but you and I can decide how we're going to respond to this. We can wring our hands in fear. You can shout in anger. You can retaliate or withdraw. But the choice is yours and mine. Here's one thing that I think it's important for us to know, and that's that sometimes it's what we do after the open doors that makes all the difference. Now, it's important to be able to recognize open doors. It's important to be able to figure out which door to go through. But once you have decided, and so we're saying you recognize a door, you've chosen a door, now what? Now that you've decided, go through with gusto, with enthusiasm, hop through the door. Now, there's something that happens, uh, unfortunately. Whenever we're faced with decisions, whenever we're faced with choices, and we make a, a choice, sometimes we can run into something that I guess we would call buyer's remorse. Buyer's remorse. It, it's when you, you start obsessing over whether or not you made the right decision. And, and we begin to kind of backpedal, and we think through, well, what would have happened if? There are, and there's a lot of reasons why this kicks in. Um, if you've put a lot of effort into a decision, it took a lot out of you. And if you're deciding something right now, you're exhausted. Right? Or this week, this week, this is, I got I to start preaching about easier stuff. Uh, because every time, the Lord seems to want to make sure that I go through it first before we ever talk. And this week, I can't tell you how many days I walk around going, I'm exhausted. And I've done nothing. But see, decision making is tiring. So we've invested a lot of energy into it, leaves us tired. We know that the decision was your responsibility. Nobody else made it. Nobody else told you what to do, which, by the way, if it's a lot of effort, leaves you tired. If it's your responsibility, you realize what that means. There's nobody to blame. Nobody to point at when it goes wrong. And finally, this, especially if the decision carries a high level of commitment, you know, you, you might rent an apartment on a whim. You don't buy a home on a whim. Right? You might take somebody out on a date on a whim, but you don't marry them on a whim. You realize, I'm kind of buying in long term here. And the longer the commitment, the higher the commitment, the more we're tempted to experience buyer's remorse. We start thinking, what have I done Oh, uh, maybe it was a bad mistake. Did I miss something? Maybe I should have, you know, what would it have looked like if I would have done something else? And we begin to obsess and think that over and over. And some of you are more obsessive than others, but it wears you out. Now, the truth is, spiritually, 
important spiritual decisions are similar. When you and I face an important spiritual decision in our life, they tend to be high effort. This is going to really take some, some work on my part. High responsibility. No one is around me is making me decide this. I'm deciding this. And it's, they're usually high commitment. We, we realize that if I say this, I'm going to do this, then I've got to stick to it. And those things almost always provoke or prompt buyer's remorse. Almost always makes us go, oh, what did I do? Now, hear this. This morning, we're not saying having those second thoughts is a bad thing. If, they, if it was a bad thing, tough, because we're going to do it. It's a natural part of making these decisions. The higher level the decision, the more likely it is that you're going to experience that. That's just normal. Now, one of the clearest examples of buyer's remorse in the Bible is in the story of Israel. Right? I mean, and, and we were not going to take the time to, to look at those passages. You can look through the book of Exodus. You can look in Numbers 15 especially, but, uh, or Numbers 11. But if you know the story, finally Moses comes on the scene. Uh, guys, if you're in the class, we're talking about Moses as one of those characters to help us develop as men. Moses comes on the scene. Finally, the Israelites, they're leaving Egypt. I want to point out, Israel was very happy to walk through that open door of liberation that God provided for them. Happy, as happy as clams to just say, yay, we're, yeah, we can walk through this door. And they were barely through that door before all of a sudden they saw smoke coming from behind them, dust rising, and the Pharaoh coming, and they went, why did we do this? This is the most terrible decision ever. And so now they're coming to Moses going, what did you do to us? I mean, you got to feel for Moses. Like, do to you, like, like you want to go back to Egypt. And they said, yes, all the food was better as slaves. Sure it was. And later, of course, then, then they're, they're, they're saved from the, from the Egyptian army, and, and then they're afraid they're going to starve to death. And then God provides manna. Yay! And then they go, this is sickening. It's like porridge. Boo! And back and forth and back and forth. Although, it's not just Israel that was having second thoughts got this little quick summary of some of what it was like, uh, the book of uh, Numbers in chapter 11. It records some of Moses' thoughts. <laughs> he too was having some second, second thoughts, some buyer's remorse. He says to God, why have you treated your servants so badly? Why have I not found favor in your sight that you laid the burden of these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give birth to them that I should carry them in my bosom and, and suckle them like a nurse? <laughs> Where, where am I going to get meat to feed all these people? They come to me weeping and saying they need to have meat to eat. I'm not able to carry all these people. They're too heavy for me. If this is the way you're going to treat me, then just put me to death now. Oh, okay. Well, some of you felt that way this week. Okay. Uh, so it's not just Israel experiencing buyer's remorse. Moses did too. It's a normal, inevitable part of making hard choices. But here's, here's one lesson I want us to capture this morning. It's normal. It's natural. It's almost inevitable sometimes. But get this. It's not fatal. And it's not final. You can double clutch a little bit if you want. As you get wiser, you, you catch yourself earlier. Hang on. Why am I doing this to myself? Because that water already went under the bridge. And, and you, we learn. But it's natural, as long as we remember, 
you know, it's not the end of the world. Some people, this is something we say in church. Well, I just don't have a peace about it. <laughs> Apparently, that's how we discern God's will. Yeah, well, I was going to, but I just don't have a peace about it. The truth is, when we say that, and all of you have said it, I have said it, and yet what I'm really saying, I'm not saying anything about God's will. What I'm saying is, I'm feeling some anxiety on the inside, and I would like to blame that on God because I need somebody to blame. The sequence in the scriptures does not look like this. Usually it doesn't go, well, first God gives a calling. He, he, he opens a door, and then you have a deep feeling of peace about it. So then you decide to obey, and then it's smooth sailing from then on. That's not how it goes, usually, ever. Second book of calamity or any, nowhere does it happen. Instead, it looks more like this. God calls, abject terror. Then you make a decision to obey. Then there's some big problems that crop up. Then there's more terror. Then you have second thoughts, and then you repeat that process several times. But at the end, your faith is deeper. You see, if, if having a deep, ultimate, personal peace about something was the ultimate criteria for making decisions, no one in the Bible would have done anything. Sometimes we are tempted to kind of kick and fuss and wish for peace. It's a nice thing to have. But the truth of the matter is that internal peace isn't much of a guiding factor. It's interesting to me that the Bible never says, well, as an example, if you're having trouble in your marriage, let me give you this counsel. Set aside some, some, some significant time to think about how your life would have been better if you'd married someone else. <laughs> think about this fictional person and all of their amazing strengths and, and abilities. Think, think about all the wonderful aspects of your fictional spouse and then compare those to the, to the, the, the terrible truth about your existing spouse and just, just meditate on that for a while and that'll really help. The truth is that obsessing and buyer's remorse, it ends up by putting us in a position where we have less resources to deal with what we've got. It actually takes out our energy and our, our confidence instead of bolstering it. Now, there is a cure for buyer's remorse. There's a cure. And it's actually kind of simple. N not easy, but simple. When you do go through a door, Go through it with all your heart. Go through it with abandon. Go through it with both feet. Hop if you have to. But once you've decided, go through it with everything you've got. Now, I didn't play football. I know some of you are find that hard to believe looking at me. <clears throat> but I have never heard a coach speaking to his team say, Okay, now everybody, I want you to go out there and give me 90%. You never hear a great leader challenging and motivating his people, saying, I want all of you 
to do, you know, close to your best out there. It's not what leaders do. You've never, how about this? Been to a wedding and the groom makes a promise? I'm going to have a wedding this summer. That's crazy. Anyway, not mine. Uh, My youngest daughter. Man, what am I, like a thousand years old? Anyway, but at a wedding and the groom says, he goes, I promise to love you and be faithful to you pretty a pretty good chunk of the time. <laughs> I mean, who finds that exciting? When you interviewed for your job, your boss said, now look, we expect you know, at least three quarters of a good day's work each day from you. I mean, do you realize, it sounds silly. It sounds silly when we talk about it like this, doesn't it? It sounds ridiculous. And yet, sometimes people try to walk through high challenge doors with a low-level commitment. And then they wonder why they experience defeat. We pick these high and mighty doors, these challenges, but then we go through kind of like limping, kind of like... And then we wonder why it fails. And usually they blame somebody else. There's a contrast. There are so many contrasts in Scripture we we could take a lot of time, but... This morning, since we're kind of introducing this, and we're going to talk about it next week as well. In the book of Chronicles, uh, you know, the Old Testament gives us names of some of the kings of Israel and Judah. Some of them did well, and some didn't. And in, in Chronicles uh, 25, 2 Chronicles 25, the, the scriptures mention Amaziah, one of the kings. He, Amaziah, it says, was 25 years old when he became king, and And this is what it says. It says, And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but not wholeheartedly. I thought that was interesting. We tend to think pretty black and white when it comes to Bible and church and stuff, right? Good, bad, holy, not, faithful, reject, loser. Well, here's this young king who does what's right in the sight of the Lord, but he just doesn't do it wholeheartedly. Have you ever seen somebody do their job? They do it so that they cannot be released from their job, (laughs) but they just don't do it wholeheartedly? Do you know that look? Do you know that walk? Is your locker next to that person? I mean, we recognize it in others. We don't always recognize it in ourselves. But because because we're feeling some buyer's remorse, because we're afraid maybe we made the wrong decision, because we're feeling some of that anxiety and a lack of peace, now that the door is open and we've decided to walk through, we walk through it in the least effective way you can imagine. And then we wonder, "Uh, nothing ever goes right for me. There's a reason. If you contrast Amaziah to what the Bible tells us about King David. Now, King David was not really all that great of a guy. I mean, he, he was a, a great king right up until the time that he wasn't. He was a terrible husband. He was a train wreck of a father. He lied and murdered and committed adultery. And, and I mean, not the kind of person that would be a hero. And yet, 
God described him as being a man after his own heart. And the reason for that is because regardless of those mistakes, regardless of those sins, regardless of those fumbles and stumbles, each time David ended up by turning back and facing God, owning responsibility for what he had done. And he would say, he would, he would repent, and then he would say, still following you is more important to me than life itself. What a contrast. In fact, there's one story in the scriptures about when the Ark of the Covenant was being transported. This was a big day in the life of the nation of Israel. And David was so excited, he took off all the kind of fancy duds that kings wear, and he was just jigging down, dancing and spinning. He was just, he was celebrating. So much so that his wife was scandalized, like, like that's not very dignified. You see, sometimes wholeheartedness isn't all that dignified. But you see, it's something interesting about wholeheartedness. When, when, you are, when you've chosen to do something, not out of guilt, not because you think somebody else wants you to, not out of pressure, not out of, not, nothing external. When you've chosen to do something, to step through a door for God, and you've done it for only one reason, because it's, you think it's what He wants you to do, and you want to please Him. When that's true of you, you can't help but be wholehearted. It kind of bubbles up inside. And yes, you too start with dance fever kind of craziness. You just, you, it, the key to this is wholeheartedness. Stepping through with courage. The irony is that the greater the door, the greater the call for wholeheartedness. The more important it is, the more important it is that you do it wholeheartedly. Now, next week we're going to talk a little bit more about this, but here's the premise. And I want you to think about this. See if this is true in your own life this week. It's often better to go through the wrong door with the right heart than to go through the right door with the wrong heart. You thought it was kind of difficult and convicting when we were talking about decisions and doors. But when we shift from the actual decision, the actual door, the actual opportunity to our hearts, okay, now, now it's getting very uncomfortable. When I am right with God, when I know he's opened a door, and I want to follow him for no other reason, not because I'm a pastor I'm supposed to, not because I'm expected to, not because I feel guilty if I don't, but because I want to follow him. When I am in that position, I actually want to be challenged. I like it when somebody says, how's it going? Did you step through? And, 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 and tell me about it. And now, when we're, when we're half-hearted, when we're conflicted, when we feel like we've compromised, we don't want to talk to anybody about the door we recently tried to go through. Uh, yeah, how's it going? Good, good. Yeah, good. Hey, how's that, I mean, that challenge, the thing you said you are going to read the Bible every day, how's it going? Good, uh, yeah, 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 it's good. Yeah, we, don't, we, don't want to even, we, we don't even want it to be spoken out loud. 
That's not a problem with the decision. That's a heart issue. You see, there is this, there's wisdom in this ancient hymn called the Hokey Pokey. You know, you know the last line. You put your whole self in. If God opens an opportunity for you, for you to step through and to become a partner with him in whatever he's doing next, he makes you aware of it. He opens it to you. He says, I know your strength is small, and yet you want to be faithful. He opens that to you. The choice is yours how you want to go through. You can limp across. You can wring your hands. Even as you're going through, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Something's going to go wrong. I can just tell. Something always does. You can do that. Or you can hop. Like David dancing before the ark. You can put your whole self in. In Romans chapter 12, we read this. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. If you're around church very long, you, it's easy to get the idea that what is important is the right thing. Knowing the right thing, saying the right thing, wearing the right thing, doing the right thing. So I think what we're seeing is that God might disagree a little. For instance, have you ever done the wrong thing? Of course you have. Have you ever said the wrong thing? Of course you have. Have you ever worn the wrong thing? I always do. <laughs> and you know what I learned? That's not the end of the world. That can be undone. However, when I lose my zeal for serving the Lord, when I start to turn him down on simmer, I can almost, can't you, can't you smell it in the air? It's the smell of death creeping in to a life that should be filled with life. It's the beginning of shadows. It's the beginning of the serpent's voice saying, are you sure that God really said? And it creeps in. And as it creeps in, we limp more. And we, we hesitate more. And then we start to whine more. And Paul, when he says this, he's, he's, not, he's not ignoring the fact of, you know, life is tough and things come up. What he's saying is, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. There is something we do that keeps that. We keep renewing ourselves, committing ourselves to this idea that I'm going through this thing wholehearted. How do you know how to check your heart? Spiritually. Wouldn't it be nice if we had a spiritual EKG, EKG out in the foyer someplace? Like a little photo booth you could step in, and then you get a little thing. It would be nice. And you say, you know, some of you are like, because you already know you wouldn't like what it said. Others would be like, you know, it'd be nice to kind of get an honest appraisal. It'd be nice if there was a spiritual EKG. And 
And I want to just give this as we go. Like, I think there's at least one thing that can work like that. It's just to assess. What is it that makes you want to dance? What is it that you will do regardless of whether or not it's convenient? What will you cancel for? What will you schedule for? The bottom line is, we all do what we want to do. Look at your calendar. What are the things that are on there every week? Do they reflect the fervor for serving the Lord? Or is it a fervor first for my vocation, and then secondly, for my family? Thirdly, of course, for my body. Fourthly, I have this hobby. Oh, oh, yeah, oh, of course, and God. I mean, every week I go to church. Add up, add up those little... T- you see, I think we can do a little heart check. What is it that takes up the most space, the most time? What is it that never gets postponed in your life? I'm sorry. No, I can't do that. I've made a commitment. We're all just like David. We all dance for something. So... What makes you dance? Colossians 3, we read this. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. If, if you're a pleaser like me, that is so easy to read. The minute I stop paying attention, I would rather you be happy with me than God. That is messed up. (laughs) Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It's the Lord Christ you are serving. Linda said it. I love that simplicity. I don't know what you're thinking. He's watching. He's watching. He's taking notes. Do you know that he cares so much for you that he's watching? Not watching like the principal, not watching like the hall monitor. No, he's watching because he hopes to catch you doing the right thing. But it's yours and my choice whether or not we do it wholeheartedly. So take a little assessment this week. What is it that gets you most excited? What makes you dance? Is it something that pleases the Lord? Let's pray. Now, perhaps you're here today and the door that is opening for you is this whole door of Jesus. You're not sure why you're even here. You don't do church normally. Something was compelling. Something something drew you in. There's something about Jesus that is attractive and yet you don't even know what it is. Let me explain what maybe you're experiencing. It's the gospel. The gospel is this message of good news that even though our sin has separated us from God and polluted the world that God created, He loves us and is pursuing us. He wants to restore us to Himself. 
The problem with that desire is that there was something in the way. It was our sin. You see, sin brings with it a penalty that must be paid. And that penalty is death. A holy God can't look on and, and commune with sin. And so we can't enter his presence. So Jesus, the Son of God, came to earth, taking flesh he became a sacrifice in our place. He gave his life to make the atonement for our sin. And at the third day he rose, and now he offers eternal life as a gift. The first door that opened was that door, that stone that was rolled across the tomb. And by the way, after everything that Jesus had been through, when that door opened, I don't think he limped out. I think he hopped. I think he danced out of that tomb. He knew what had just happened. He'd secured eternal life for anyone who would receive it. The only question this morning is, what would stop you from accepting the gift of eternal life? He died for you. He offers it as a gift to you. He needs nothing from you. He loves you and wants this door, this first door, for you to step through. What would stop you from putting your faith in Jesus as your Savior? You don't understand, Mike. I'm not a good person. That's why he died for you and me. You don't understand. I don't know about this whole church thing. I don't think I'd be a very good Christian. You won't be. Welcome to the club. He's not saving you because he wants something from you. This is God we're talking about. He wants to bless you. He wants you to know him and to have the chance to walk through him. It starts with one door. It starts with knowing that Jesus wants to be your Savior, but it's your decision to make. If you've never trusted Christ, today's the day. Jesus, I didn't realize what you did. You died on that cross for me. What kind of a person would I be to reject a gift of eternal life? As, as best as I know how, I'm trusting you as my Savior right now. Christians, before Jesus could walk out of that tomb, he was carried in. Is the door in front of you that scary? Do you believe that the Savior who rolled that stone away is more than eager to walk through this door with you. But as you go through it, remember, he doesn't limp. He doesn't whine and stumble. He, he goes through and he asks you to go through wholeheartedly. Have courage. He who saved you is able to secure you and to carry you. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, you saved us, but you've saved us into a life, into a life that is rich and full. Remind us that we can depend on you, we can trust you, so that when you open a door and we now know which to go through, that we would learn to go through wholeheartedly, with gusto, with courage, with joy. Teach us to identify that buyer's remorse is what it is. Wasted time. 
remind us that it's better to go through the wrong door with a right heart than it is to go through the right door with a wrong heart. So God, what we're saying is we need you to change our hearts, purify our hearts, renew our hearts, that these hearts could once again be whole. We ask it in your precious name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Intro music by bensound.com. Visit us online at crossroads-cc.org.